Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. I'm Brent Nachtigal, your host. Earlier today, I interviewed the Director of International Affairs for the City of David, Zev Orenstein. He's a, a longtime associate and friend and has helped, out, helped us out a lot over the years uh, with the City of David. And he's going to talk about a wonderful new excavation that they're beginning at the Siloam Pool, the southern part of the City of David. Before we get to that, though, I did want to just remind you of our magazine, Let the Stone Speak. This is a magazine that you can get for free, a free subscription that comes out six times per year. Uh, it's on biblical archaeology and history. You can go and get yourself a subscription by visiting our website, armstronginstitute.org, and scrolling down to a place where you find the magazine, or you can write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org to uh, request the magazine as well. Here is me earlier with Zev Orenstein. Hi Zev, thanks very much for joining us today. Great to be here. It's been a while since I've uh, interviewed you. I think we did one about three years ago. Uh, you've had a really interesting couple of months, it seems. I've seen you interview, interviewed by Dinesh D'Souza. I saw a brief interview when you were on Fox and Friends, live from Jerusalem, from the Pool of Siloam, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, here in a second. Um, but for people that are not as familiar with you and what the City of David is, the City of David Foundation is, perhaps you can give a bit of a background of yourself and the City of David before we start talking about some of the projects. So up until about 150 years ago, when people thought, where is the original biblical city of Jerusalem? The Jerusalem synonymous with, with people like King David, King Solomon, King Hezekiah, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Almost universally, everyone would have imagined the old city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the iconic old city walls, which are old. They're about 500 years old, mm -hmm. which if you're coming from, say, the United States, it's a long time ago. Uh, but Jerusalem is about 4,000 years old. King David is about 3,000 years ago. And yet, everyone thought the old city is biblical Jerusalem. Until 1867, Queen Victoria of England, she wants to discover the treasures of the Bible, like the Ark of the Covenant, so she sends a man by the name of Captain Charles Warren to the Holy Land. And if you're going to search one place in the Holy Land to find the treasures of the Bible, you go to Jerusalem. And if you're going to search one place in Jerusalem, you'll go to the Temple Mount, the biblical Mount Moriah. And that's what Charles Warren does, except in 1867, the Ottomans are there. And so they say, Charles, we're sure you're a great guy, but you're not going to dig up the Temple Mount. <laughs> to this day, due to religious sensitivities, political sensitivities, there has been virtually no archaeological activity on the Temple Mount. And now Charles Warren has a problem. And he says, if I can't dig on the Temple Mount, I'll dig near it. And he comes down and he discovers uh, the Gihon Spring, mm -hmm. the life source of Jerusalem going back for thousands of years. And one discovery leads to another. And he comes up with a theory that the original biblical city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, is not located inside the walls of the old city, but located just outside the walls of the old city. Except at that time, scholar and layman alike said, Charles, that is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. Everyone knows it's the old city. And the area that is the city of David today there was basically nothing there. Right. And so they say, Charles, you're telling us this barren 11-acre ridge? This is the Jerusalem that has significance, not to millions, but to billions of people around the world? Has to be the old city. He says, I'm telling you, this is the spot. Over the next 150 years, the city of David becomes one of the most archaeologically excavated sites in the world, the most excavated site in Israel. And today, everyone knows that the city of David the place where Jerusalem began is not to be found inside the walls of the old city, but outside. The place where the kings of the Bible ruled, where the prophets of the Bible preached, is not the old city of Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but the city of David. 
And what the City of David Foundation has been doing for going on almost the last three decades now has been to bring the archaeology back, bring the tourism back, bring the City of David back to life uh, from being an abandoned, neglected 11-acre ridge to being one of the most significant heritage sites uh, on the planet. And I think if you've, I mean, a lot of our audience, I hope, has been to Jerusalem. If not, um, you need to visit. And City of David is, is number one uh, on the list. Uh, if you're interested in archaeology, the Bible, of course, visiting this site uh, and this, this, this ridge that you're talking about. Um, I remember coming here for the first time back in 2006 and the development since that time of the City of David Tourist Park, which is a national park, mm -hmm. but it's also obviously tourism comes through there. It's been phenomenal. Um, and this is due, I think, in large part to the continued excavations, continued attention, plus just the, the thrust of the City of David Foundation itself and putting a lot of effort into sure. bringing people there and developing the site for tourists. Uh, if, if people haven't been there of late, um, what, let's just, before we talk about the Salon Pool, what would, if, say, if they haven't been there for the past two or three years, so since COVID, what has been going on in the City of David? Is there excavations that have continued or have there been? And what can people expect to see maybe different from three or four years ago? One of the most significant excavations that's happening as we speak, and I said you don't want to talk about the Pool of Siloam yet, uh, so we won't talk about that, but we'll talk about something connected right. to that, is you would have had, going back, say, 2,000 years ago, around the time of Jesus, you would, would have had, according to Josephus, millions and millions of people who are going on pilgrimage to the temple. We're talking about Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, and we're not going to talk about the, you know, the pre-part of that, <laughs> but okay, how did all those people get up to the temple. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's been discovered uh, over the last couple of years is what I call the biblical superhighway, the pilgrimage road, the road that would have taken our ancestors, whether you're Jewish or Christian 2,000 years ago, the very road that would have taken you on pilgrimage mm -hmm. up to the temple. Uh, and we are literally, literally excavating the pilgrimage road as we speak, uh, going all the way up that half-mile journey. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think about, for instance, you have in the Psalms, Psalms uh, 120 to 134, those 15 chapters, they all begin with the same words, a song of ascents. Right. Now, the way most people, if you're coming from the United States or Europe or wherever, the way you understand a song of ascents is it's a spiritual ascent. You're going to Jerusalem, to the temple, it's holy, true. Uh, but when you're actually going on pilgrimage, and the vast majority of people who would have gone on pilgrimage to the temple thousands of years ago, they're going from the southern part of the city of David all the way up the pilgrimage road up to the temple. As they're going on that pilgrimage, they're singing those 15 chapters, those songs of ascent. Those songs of ascent are not just a spiritual ascent, it is actually a physical description of the pilgrimage experience going back thousands of years ago. When you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life. There's no other place in the world where you can actually experience those songs of a physical ascent right. going up to the temple in Jerusalem. And so what's going to happen in a few years' time are people of all faiths and backgrounds, are literally going to be able to walk in the footsteps of the Bible, recreating that pilgrimage experience, going up to, in this case, towards the Western Wall, the Southern Steps, the Temple Mount, uh, up through the City of David, literally walking on the very same flagstones our ancestors did thousands of years ago. So this is an amazing uh, discovery. I was on this maybe, I guess it was about a month and a half ago. Um, you organized a tour and, and we got to walk along this, this road very close to underneath the road that drives up from the bottom of the City of David to the north right now. 
Uh, I don't want to beat around the bush, sorry for making it very difficult for you to talk about that without talking about the Siloam pool. Um, so maybe we can get to that right now to talk about the significance of this journey up this hill on this superhighway as you talk about. The Siloam pool, uh, I'll let you speak about it at length, obviously, um, but this has been a discovery that going has been made a couple of times, I suppose, because there was the old Siloam pool and now there's the new Siloam pool, which is going to be the ex expanded Siloam pool. So maybe you can talk about this pool itself, uh, its discovery initially and what the City of David now hopes to do. So 2004. Uh, you know, we have a teaching in our faith that says God has many messengers. So back in 2004, there's a road. Beneath the road at the southern end of the city of David, there's a sewage pipe. And the sewage pipe bursts. And now you have a big mess. And the municipality of Jerusalem has to come and send in construction crews to repair the sewage pipe. But Jerusalem is not just another municipality. Right. The city of David is not just another part of Jerusalem. And here, when a sewage pipe bursts, you don't only send in construction crews. You also send in archaeologists. And so you have archaeologists who are overseeing. You have the bulldozers and dump trucks doing the work repairing the sewage pipe. And the archaeologists begin to hear scraping and scratching, talking about Eli Shukrun, later Roni Reich. And they hear scraping and scratching. It does not sound right. And they clear everyone out. And it turns out, in repairing the sewage pipe, they had inadvertently uncovered a series of ancient stone steps dating back some 2,000 years. Now, 2,000 years ago, again, is the time of Jesus. And the archaeologists say, well, wait a second. There's only one other set of steps that we're aware of in Jerusalem that look just like these, and those are the southern steps, which was the primary entryway up into the temple 2,000 years ago. And so they said there must be a connection between these two sets of stairs. And they realized that the southern set of steps that they had found down at the bottom of the city of David were the steps leading down to the ancient pool of Siloam. Now the pool of Siloam has deep significance uh, for Christians and for Jews alike. For Christians and uh, the Christian scriptures, the story uh, of the site of the healing of the blind man, mm -hmm. uh, the pool of Siloam and the city of David. You have in the Bible, as we mentioned a moment ago, that before you can go up to the temple three times a year on Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, which is mandated in the Bible, you have to first cleanse yourself, go to a ritual bath, a mikvah. The pool of Siloam was the size of two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Why so big? Because the historian Josephus says you would have had 2,000 years ago nearly 3 million people going on pilgrimage. That's a lot of people. A lot of people have to cleanse. The Pool of Siloam at the southern end of the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, was the largest ritual bath in all of Jerusalem by far. By far. By far. <laughs> and so then what happened? So we had now the beginning. So this is 94. 2004. 2004, sorry. And you have a, about, let's say, 3%, 5% of the entirety of the pool excavated. Essentially a nice set of steps going down, and you can see mm -hmm. it is the uh, northeastern corner, essentially, of the pool, and you could just see the steps keep going south. Mm -hmm. And yet there was a property line, and we weren't able to cross it. And so even though everyone knew, right. uh, not just the archeologists, not just the Israel Antiquities Authority, but, but anyone with just a little common sense, these where those steps were leading, and yet there's a property line there, and the owners of that property, uh, for whatever reason, were not actually interested in uh, unearthing the Pool of Siloam. Mm -hmm. And that you know, changed uh, over the last month or two where the ownership status of, of that property changed. And now for the first time in 2,000 years, we are going to have the ability to uncover and excavate the entirety of the Pool of Siloam. Again, the size of two Olympic-sized swimming pools, an acre and a half in size. And here's the, the exciting thing about this excavation that has already begun clearing away the upper layer of modern earth. Yeah, I would just interrupt 
just for one second, because I've seen some mm -hmm. chatter online, they've seen videos, some people might have seen video of this, and they see the backhoes and mm -hmm. the loaders working, front end loaders, and they're like, whoa, what's going on here? They're, they're doing archaeology with front end loaders, but just for everyone knows, <laughs> this is the top layers yeah. that are unimportant that are being removed first. Let's put it this way, if, if you find a coke can in the earth that's being moved, right. you have nothing to worry about. Yeah, uh, right. And so this is, you know, you got potato chip bags, coke cans, it's just an area that, that over, I mean, you had virtually no one living on this property for, for many, many, many decades. Right. Uh, and over time, just debris built up, all sorts of things uh, that just had to be cleared away. And once all that stuff is cleared away, then you dig down and uh, start the archaeology. Uh, and already, archaeologists with the Antiquities Authority have dug trenches down just to get a sense of, of oh, really? you know, what, what you know, they're hoping to uncover. And here's the exciting thing, because what everyone really is excited to discover is the remainder of the Pool of Siloam from 2,000 years ago. But those who are perhaps Bible scholars... Not everyone. <laughs> well, that, that's actually true, and I'll, I'll share an anecdote. Sure. Um, you know, the, you know, shortly after, a day or two after, uh, we were able to, you know, move in and, and, and begin the process of excavating the remainder, the remaining 97% of the Pool of Siloam. As you mentioned, I was doing an interview with, uh, with Fox and Friends, live mm -hmm. interview. And, you know, anytime there are cameras around, people gather, they're excited to see it. And so we finished this live interview, and there was a, uh, a Muslim tour guide with, with some group. And the interview ends, and he shouts down to me. He said, uh, well, what should the Palestinians feel about all this? And, you know, it wasn't a question I was, you know, right after I finished the interview thinking about or kind of like in the, the space to answer, but, right. you know. Uh, but there was the question, lots of people around, and I thought, so, well, I said, what should the Palestinians feel about this? I said, they should be happy. Right. I said, why? I said, because anyone who loves Jerusalem should be excited that one of the most significant heritage sites in all of Jerusalem is about to be unearthed in its entirety for the first time in thousands of years. You know, people may have differences when it comes to theology or politics, but we should all be able to celebrate the heritage of Jerusalem. Right. And the excavation of the Pool of Siloam is going to be that, where this is one of the most significant heritage sites in all of Jerusalem, uh, both significant from the Second Temple period, from First Temple period, right. uh, and that also leads to what will be an interesting archaeological question, because the archaeologists are going to dig down, and presumably they're going to find remnants of the pool dating back 2,000 years. But Bible scholars will know that that's not the original Pool of Siloam. Right. If you go back to 2 Kings 2020, it actually talks about the original Pool of Siloam was engineered by the biblical King Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David, when he was uh, trying to save Jerusalem from the impending Assyrian siege of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Uh, he takes the waters of the Gihon Spring, diverts it to flow entirely within the city of David, exiting in the Pool of Siloam. And so the question is, when the archaeologists are digging down, will they also find remnants of the original pool or only of the uh, pool dating back to around the time of Herod? Uh, and, you know, time will tell. Yeah, it has been interesting for me to look at the reporting of it because I have found a greater focus in some ways on that, that this is the Pool of Siloam. It dates back 2,700 years, um, which it does as, as part of uh, biblical history, but we have no evidence of the pool of Siloam from that time yet right. being discovered. So what you're saying is you've got the 2,000-year-old pool and it's there at the exit of Hezekiah's tunnel mm -hmm. that he built. And so it makes sense as archaeologists go down that once they remove the upper layers, perhaps they'll do a couple of probes or something through to yeah. see what's beneath that. It's, 
I don't know uh, if your listeners are familiar with, there used to be an American game show, going back a couple of decades, called Let's Make a Deal. And so you'd play some game, and let's say you win a TV or a refrigerator. And then the host of the show would say to you, you can go home right now, you got a nice new TV, nice new refrigerator, or you could have what's behind door number right. two. Now you don't know what's behind door number two, but you gotta give up your TV or refrigerator to find out. Now it could be behind door number two is a brand new car. Or it could be there's just nothing, just a bag of trash or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how archaeology works, because let's say they're going to find the remnants of the 2,000-year-old Pool of Siloam. And let's, you know, say in a crazy, amazing uh, possibility, the entirety of the 2,000-year-old the Pool is intact. There it is. It's all there. What do you do? Do you say, you know what, we're going to stop here. We're, we're just going to leave this as is. Or do you say, well, you know what, we're going to take a portion of this pool and actually take it apart to see if there's actually something deeper. Right. Uh, and now it could be, you'll find, oh my God, for the first time in history, you'll uncover the original Pool of Siloam dating back to the time of King Hezekiah. Or it could be that you'll remove a portion of the 2,000-year-old pool only to find that there is no remnant of that pool going back 2,700 years ago. Uh, that maybe when Herod was expanding his pool, he just cleared right. out everything that came before, which is not that hard to believe. Uh, and so that will, you know, thankfully that's not my decision to make. The, right. <laughs> the Israel Antiquities Authority will, you know, have to cross that bridge when they come to it. But it is exciting to think about uh, what layers we're going to unearth in the process of uncovering the Pool of Siloam. Right. Yeah, this is, I think, a question that we come across in archaeology all the time. And the importance of the find above oftentimes determines whether mm -hmm. you go through it. Um, I'm inclined, and I think most uh, archaeologists would be inclined, to go through it. And then if you don't find anything of significance underneath it, then there's always the opportunity to rebuild it just as it was. And in terms of finding dating for the structure, you have to go under it. So yeah. uh, I hope that opportunity does present itself and, and we'll see. Uh, do you have a sense for the, it's the Antiquities Authority that's doing it? Is there an academic institution? Uh, joining with them or is it just them so far? Of course they have the, the, the um, the credentials to dig it by themselves, of course. I'm just wondering if there's any other buy-in from, from others at this point to help I, out. I know that right now it's the Israel Antiquities Authority. I do know there is a, a very prominent academic institution here in Israel. I don't know if things have been finalized yet, okay. so I don't, I don't want to mention the yeah, name. Uh, but it's, it's a name that I think certainly you and your listeners, if it, if it comes to fruition, would uh, feel very good about uh, taking part in, in, uh, in this excavation. Uh, and this is going to be, you know, over for the next five yeah, years or so. Yeah, what's the time frame? Maybe the next five years or so uh, to, to unearth the entirety of the pool. Mm -hmm. And as that's being unearthed, you have the excavation of the length of the pilgrimage road right. uh, that's being unearthed. So you could imagine a Jerusalem five years from now, a city of David, the place where Jerusalem began five years from now, where you're going to have the entirety of the Pool of Siloam unearthed, the entirety of the pilgrimage road unearthed. And a visitor coming to Jerusalem five years from now will start their visit by the Pool of Siloam and then be able to walk up from the pool along the pilgrimage road, going out all the way up to the Western Wall, Southern Steps, the footsteps of the Temple Mount, literally walking in the footsteps of the Bible uh, from 2,000 plus years ago. And it's just gonna be something yeah. incredible. Yeah, it'd be absolutely <laughs> amazing to recreate that journey for people and, and I think, you know, you, we're going to have to figure out a different way to get some logistics working down there to get, get the masses of people that will want to do this. Well, we already have that. Uh, you have already, the government is approved and the Supreme Court gave their, their final approval uh, that Israel is going to be building a cable car mm -hmm. uh, to bring visitors from the area of the King David Hotel 
uh, to Mount Zion, and then to the city of David, eventually perhaps to the Mount of Olives, uh, 3,000 people an hour mm -hmm. uh, to bring people to this area, the main stop for the old city. Uh, you're talking about not just the city of David, but say for the Western Wall, for the right. Church of the Holy Sepulchre, for the Via Della Rosa, is going to be over the Givati parking lot excavation. Uh, and so, uh, like I said, five years from now, you're going to have a cable car, you're going to have the Pool of Siloam, you're going to have the Pilgrimage Road. You will literally be able to walk in the footsteps of the Bible going back thousands of years. And, you know, when people think of the great wonders of the world, you'll think of the pyramids in Egypt, the Colosseum in Rome. I believe when, when we finish the excavation of the pool, of the pilgrimage road, they will together, I believe, be a part of the great wonders of the world, but actually in a category all their own. Right. And I'll tell you why. When a person goes to visit the pyramids today, when they go to see the Colosseum, a person says, wow, look at the grandeur of the pharaohs. Look at the might of the great Roman Empire. But then you say, well, where are the pharaohs today? Where is the great Roman Empire today? And the answer is the same. Museums, history books, with some monuments left behind. A person comes to Jerusalem, and they'll be able to visit the Pool of Siloam. They'll be able to walk along the pilgrimage road. This is not just a piece of history. This is actually the continuation of a story. Because the people who walked that road, who went to that pool thousands of years ago, it's their descendants who worship the same God, have the same customs, traditions, festivals, in some cases speaking the same language, as their ancestors did thousands of years ago. It's the same Jerusalem, it's the same Bible, it's the same faiths that is here. It's the continuation of a story. Mm -hmm. And where else in the world do you have that? Where it's literally bringing this back to life, not as a once upon a time, but, but it's, it's the same. Right. Uh, and that, I think, is, is a big privilege that we're living in a time where we're able to bring Jerusalem and its heritage and its history back to life, not in the sense of a museum where it's like behind glass, right. where people could actually engage with it, touch it, walk on it, see it with their own eyes. The big question now will be, once that's all done, are you going to fill it with water and people can bathe in there? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I can tell you it's something that we thought about. Uh, oh, really? I, I think, uh, you know, you could, you could put water in so you could see there's water, but not have it deep enough for people to bathe. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I, 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 all, the, all these things are, are, are being debated because on the one hand, we want uh, millions and millions of people to visit right. uh, and not to be scared off by a bunch of uh, people taking off their clothes. Right, to, uh, Jewish customs, you have to be naked to yeah, go into the pool. Yeah, and, right? and so... You know, that, might, that might scare off a few of the tourists. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is, as you said, it's just a, an amazing time when you can see the pages of the Bible uh, and, and history in this way be re-unearthed um, in a way that would just really impact a huge amount of people uh, across the globe. Um, it's easy when you live in Jerusalem and you probably have to remind yourself of this often that you live here and so you probably get used to it a bit, but when you talk to, to a lot of other people, that this, this, the study of Jerusalem has consumed their life, yeah. and they believe in the history of Jerusalem, and then to come here and actually you know, walk the same steps, uh, literally the yeah. same steps, um, walk, walk those, that path, I think it, it does change their life to a degree, a massive degree, even though they have been studying it their whole life. And I think the work of the city of David, um, Without that work, I don't think, you know, well, there's no doubt that it, the, the, the amount and the importance of the site would have been brought to life. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and taking tours with you, bringing other people to see it as well uh, so that more people can see this amazing history. Um, thanks very much, Zev. I don't know if you have anything mm -hmm. else to add. Uh, Zev here mm -hmm. has 
uh, been gracious to give us a lot of time in the past and, and help us with tours. And, and um, so he's a very accessible uh, man. We appreciate that. You came to our opening back in September 4th uh, last year as well. So we appreciate the friendship. And we feel like uh, uh, in many ways we have similar goals. Yeah. Uh, so thanks very much for the work that you do. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just say that um, a testament to the work that you guys are doing here, what we're trying to do in the city of David, is how many archaeological excavations are there in the world that in the grand scheme of things matter to people today? Right. Yes, history is important and we want to know about our past and things like that. But how many civilizations really still matter today, are really relevant today? And the excavations taking place, of course, throughout Israel, but in Jerusalem, in places like the city of David, in the Ophel area, in the biblical Jerusalem envelope, you have billions of people who not just right. from a perspective of, oh, we just are curious once upon a time what it was like, but that it matters today and it matters tomorrow. And to be able to have a hand in that, to be able to be a, a steward uh, and to unearth this, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of billions of people around the world and also people to come in future generations. Right. It's a big privilege, and I know that it's something that you guys also take very seriously, right. uh, to know that it's not just another dig. Uh, it's Jerusalem, right. and uh, it's a big privilege. Thanks very much for listening all the way through to the end of that interview with Zev Orenstein of the City of David Foundation, and thank you very much to him for coming onto the show today. Thanks also to uh, Christopher Reams, my colleague, for last week's program about touring Biblical Gezer. If you haven't seen that, definitely see it on YouTube so that you can really familiar, familiar yourself with this important biblical site. I'd also like to mention again uh, the magazine subscription. This is our magazine, Let the Stone Speak. The latest edition talks about Abraham's Jerusalem, focusing on uh, a story focusing on the discoveries of a massive fortification around the Gihon Spring. We also have numerous articles relating to the period of the patriarchs in the, in the magazine as well. This is a free magazine on biblical archaeology and history. It comes out six times per year, and it's available for you wherever you are in the world. Simply go to our website, armstronginstitute.org. Scroll down and you'll find where you can order yourself a free subscription, or you can write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org. Thanks very much for being with me again, and I'll talk to you next week.